Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media production. Today is the audio day, so we have a fair number of audio experts here. So if you've got questions about audio pipelines, uh, this is a great day to ask them. Uh, we're also going to be talking a little bit about, in Gray Matter, we had a little bit of a, a glitch in the recording, and we want to kind of, we thought that this might be a good way to, for us to think about it and think about, I don't even know if we have the answer for it, but what we can, what we do, what we will do is look at the file um, and listen to it and, and talk a little bit about how we might try to figure out what happened. It's nothing mission critical. It went out today. <laughs> it went out yesterday. So, but but it is something for us to learn from. And we thought it would be fun to use this as an opportunity to discuss what might have might have caused this and so that we can learn from it. It's kind of like a, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of a crow funeral, but when a crow dies... A whole bunch of crows will show up and just stare at it and talk to each other about it, try to figure out what happened, and, uh, and then they all go about their business. And it's called it, literally. If you look up, I know that Chris is laughing at me because he doesn't believe that there's actually a crow funeral. No, but I seen no. them. I seen them. I seen actual, a crow funeral. In actuality, um, there was a crow funeral at the end of our block in mm -hmm. Rancho, and I drove by it, and I was like, "That's the weirdest thing ever." Yeah. And I drive by. I come back from the grocery store like an hour later. It's still going on. And oh, I'm yeah. like, what's going on? And I and I stopped and I looked. And I got out of the car. It was fake. The neighbors had made a fake, they had a bunch of fake little crows and they built it in their front yard. And I'm like, geez, I'm living next to the Adams family. This is weird. <laughs> A crow funeral tableau. <laughs> oh my gosh! Nothing like nothing like having a crow funeral attractor. Um, I have a the, picture. I'll find it for you. <laughs> That's great. Um, all right, let's go ahead and jump into the questions. Uh, you can ask questions throughout the hour. Of course, you can use this QR code or, or use uh, askofficehours.com twenty four seven. But right now is a, is a great time to do it, and uh, we've got lots of questions. So let's go ahead and jump into them. Bill, what do you got? First one this morning, Alex, is from Peter Moore in Auckland, New Zealand. And Peter says, Presonus has an updated version of my Eris E5 monitors and vid on a video on how to calibrate said monitors. Pros and cons? Go ahead, Mickey. I don't have a comment on the monitor speakers themselves, but uh, in terms of the, the video with regards to calibration, I think there's a lot of very good, um, very good points there. It's not a comprehensive video. It's, I think it's only seven minutes long and you really need like a, a couple of days to learn how to calibrate the monitoring system, especially multi-channel monitoring systems. Um, but it's, it, it raises a lot of very good points um, and a lot of things that people should keep in mind whenever they're using a speaker system to make decisions on um, for producing media. That's great. Yeah, I thought it was a really good video. Um, next question. Next one comes to us from Paul Wallace on Austin, Texas. Apple's Mother Nature skit at Wanderlust uh, at the event was awkward, but every fact or position put forth is a strategic money-saving and innovative effort. Comments, and he's got a link to it. Good, Courtney. Yeah, they always uh, crow about uh, our watches are made from 100% recycled aluminum because guess what? When they hog out those cases for the MacBook Pros, they have a lot of waste aluminum. They can actually cut probably several, you know, 20 watch cases out of what they remove from that aluminum billet to make those aluminum cases for those uh, for those uh, so it's just a, a, an efficient way for them to you know use their own waste but they're creating the waste in the first place so they're not necessarily saving the planet they do better if they just switch to a plastic case on all the macbooks good jesse 
I don't think anyone's contesting the the facts of that video. I think what people are kind of in a tizzy about is that it felt like a a victory lap when um, I, I believe that the biggest trust gap between people and corporations is the amount of ecological impact, and uh, Apple really, you know, sidestepped that trust gap to make a silly little comedy video. I believe that uh, these these announcements about uh, ecological steps forward from corporations are best suited for a one-page PDF, not a corporate comedy routine. Chris? Yeah, Jesse, I don't think you get to call it comedy unless it's actually funny. So there's that problem. But I think that, I think it was virtue signaling, pure and simple. And it, and it bothers me when something that is important about being kind to the planet that we live on becomes a marketing gimmick. That's what it is. They're like, hey, look at us, look at us. Um, I agree. It could be a PDF, could be a little green recycle thing on the front page. It doesn't need to be a 10 minute, not funny movie. Yeah, I, I think that the um, <laughs> uh, uh, Apple used to p- package a lot of these in the middle of the pe- presentation instead of the beginning of the presentation. And when we were impressed, we really liked that because then now we could write all our blog posts while they were doing it. It was like a little commercial break that we could, you know, we were they had renounced a product and then we had time to do something. So I think the biggest, con- <laughs> as, a, as a press person, I was like, they should put this in the middle, back in the middle, start with the watch, put it in the middle. So it gives people time to to absorb and do other things while they're, while they're going through it. I, you know, I think that it's, I think it's fine. I agree that I, I just feel like it doesn't belong in a keynote. You know, like it's not, I don't have a problem with them doing it. I think they should. I think they should keep on being as efficient as they can. I think they should keep on putting things out. I think they should put videos out on YouTube. I just don't think that they should take up the keynote time to do it. Um, you know, I think that Apple, I think this was the slowest, most boring keynote Apple has done in a decade. And and I think it wasn't just the fact that, um, and I'm still buying the phone. I still bought the phone. <laughs> so it was still effective. But but they could have just said, this is what the phone does and did a little video about it and I would have bought the phone. So, um, so I think that this is, uh, I, I think that the problem that Apple gets into is you have this incredible platform to talk. But if you fill it up with too many things that we don't care about, people will stop watching. You know, they'll just they'll just wait for the highlight reel and call it a day, which I think, you know, people will continue to move forward. So that's the that's the real challenge for Apple is that you got to be careful of how much stuff, you know, this is always the, you know, every corporation has this problem, which is they suddenly build up this incredible thing and then they burn it down by um by by putting things into it that people don't care about and then people stop watching and then it was like I oh, remember when Apple used to do keynotes and then they'll blame the fact that they went to videos and, you know oh we went to videos and so people stop watching but it's really because they filled it with now that they they're no longer doing it on stage they now filled filled it with so many things that we don't care about that we stop watching that's the that's always the danger of doing it getting off the stage is that you'll start packing it with other things that are not important let's move on next question Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida, comes up next. Thoughts on using the new Blackmagic Micro Studio Camera 4K G2 in live production. Oh, Jesse. Uh, the, the Micro was always our favorite Blackmagic camera, and I'm so happy to see it return in a functional format. Uh, we'll be using this for a lot of our smaller studio builds for podcasts and, you know, corporate roundtable meeting type things. I wouldn't use it that much beyond because it doesn't have any built-in monitor or way to, you know, check what you're shooting but for a lockdown small studio environment we're going to be using a lot of these yeah uh, go ahead courtney 
Yeah, I think it's a great thing, a great camera to use for cooking shows, for overhead shot, or for uh, sports where you want to mount a camera above a goal or at the goal line or above a basketball uh, hoop. Uh, it comes in great handy, very handy for that. It'll do 4K uh, and record 4K as well. I think, yeah, I think it will do UHD over six gigahertz. The SDI out, uh, so you can pull a UHD uh, signal out of it live, and it does have all the controls uh, that go back in over the HD, uh, SDI return, so you can control it remotely through all the Blackmagic software. So it comes in very handy for that. And I just noticed. Uh, that uh, Google has uh, their AI, and you do a search for this camera, and look who came up is John Barker, who covered us covered this camera for us at IBC, and he's got it on his here to record site, and it shows up uh, from the AI when you search for it. So, kudos to John for <laughs> being yeah. being discovered by AI. Yeah, the uh, I, I think. Um it's great, a great upgrade, especially if you want to use it inside of the Blackmagic pipeline. So it, it is going to be, it's shadable. We've used these in the past. They're sh we were able to shade the cameras. Um, I think the new connectors make it a lot more usable. Um, I kind of wish that the sensor had gotten bigger, but it looks like they didn't, they didn't change very much in the form factor, just, just minor uh, changes to the, it was way overdue. I don't think they've updated this for a six or seven years at least. Um, so I think that it was, it was way overdue. We've used, I think at one point, I think I had over almost, 15 or 16 of them that we use for all kinds of little things, but mostly overhead shots and uh, wide shots. And, 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 and as Jesse said, for podcast recording, these are great um, because they, they're just not very, you don't see them very much. And you can put them on smaller PTZ heads um, that, 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 don't that can't manage a lot of weight. And that, that cost drops dramatically for those kinds of heads. I will say that the one that, that is... Uh, the competitor, if you're not if you're not going to build it into the system, is the LR1 from Sony. Sony just released this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about it a little bit. This is a full frame sensor at at a size that's about the same as the Blackmagic um, uh, camera, and um, so full frame, 61 megapixel uh, stills, as well as um, the full frame video, is extremely competitive. And they are Sony. It's interesting how Sony groups things because you get a sense of how they plan to use it. The LR1 is in the Sony professional camera line with the FR7s and all the professional cameras, not in the, not in the general, the wider line. And you know the, the advantage of that that Sony is, of course, the short depth of field. Um, so I, if I was going to use something that was going to be part of the Blackmagic pipeline and shade it and so on and so forth, I'd probably go towards the Blackmagic camera. Um, you know, being able to control it and do zoom and all those other things. If I was going to use it for, I want this to be a really great image that is short depth of field and all the things that I would expect from the Sony and I think the autofocus and everything else, I'd probably look at the LR1 as it, I don't think it's released yet, but I'd probably take a look at that too. So those are the two in that field now, I think that are the leaders. Go ahead, Jesse. Uh, full frame is gorgeous. I do agree with that. I am happy to see that Micro Four Thirds is getting a little bit more support because the, the lens cost and weight is so appealing for small builds. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry, I just I, I I tend to be a little bit of a snob and want super thirty five or higher or bigger. Uh, next question. Next question comes to us from Jeff Cohen in Miami Beach, Florida, and here on the panel: Has there been any additional significant advancements in AI speech generation in the last two to three months? John, the best speech generator still on the market right now is Eleven Labs. However, next month is Adobe's. Uh, what do they call it? Their big shindig max max adobe max is next month i suspect we'll see something out of adobe as well i uh, go ahead mitchell 
Yeah, what I'm waiting for is when they really accurately reproduce uh, the pantameter that a human would do, like you know, the slight micro spaces and things like that. Sort of like when they used to quantize drum machines and they would get kind of a very syncopated, predictable uh, pattern out of it. Uh, same thing for uh, AI doing voice. I'd like to hear it sound really normal. Yeah, and go ahead, Bill. I can only report in from the groups that I hang out with, particularly since I've been doing more audiobook work lately, that there was a flurry of concern and, and, and everything else. It has quieted down substantially, and I think that the industry is a little more coming to terms with the fact that this is going to sweep through it, and a certain class of work will be disrupted, but other classes of work, this, the general feeling seems to be that other classes of work will keep going uh, because that human factor, at least at this point, still hasn't been completely reproducible. So we'll see. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, what Bill said, the bell curve will flatten. So the, it's the stuff in the middle that'll just, the, the easy, like, throwaway VO jobs will get replaced by stuff like this. There's always room at the top for work. Be, be at the top. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And, and I think that I'm just so excited about the idea of, of being able to have every piece of print, you know, every magazine, every book, everything be available to listen to effectively. And we've had that in some cases with uh, Kindle. You know, Kindle has had this in some version, way, shape, or form, but I think that that's going to build out. And I think that, um, I, I, again, I don't think that it replaces a lot of the voice actors. It does replace people doing kind of uh, basic voiceover work is going, and basic reads are going to be uh at risk, but ones that are really, um, that, you know, that are just serviceable, like magazines are disposable. And in, in, in a lot of ways, you can't, like, for instance, The Economist, and, um, you know, other things like other things like that do every single article, and that's people right now. But I think that a lot of magazines don't, you know, obviously don't choose to make that investment. And it would be great to be able to sit around listening to that. And I think it also impacts, I think that a lot of the audiobooks. I've been talking to someone about it because a lot of people are trying to figure out why podcasting hasn't done as well. And one of the things that we're talking about is the proliferation of audiobooks has affected podcasting because people are filling time with podcasting and now they're filling time with uh, more audiobooks. I know that for me, um, I listen to our show, I listen to some of the Twitch shows, but most of the other shows have fallen away from me because I, because I just don't have time. I'm listening to so many magazines. I have this thing called News Over Audio, Noah. And I listened to that so much that I don't, I just kind of took away all the podcast time that I had, <laughs> you know, like that I, that I, the, other than the ones I work on, um, I, I just don't have any, any time left, I think, to, to listen to it. I don't know where else I would, how many uh, pools I can clean before, you know, to, to fill up that, that time that's there. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, and, and I think the, like you're talking about, I think the live um generation is particularly useful. Uh, and I already, uh, sometimes if I'm reading an article and I need to do something, I'm reading it on my phone, I'll, I'll quickly try and highlight all the text and just let uh, the iPhone um, do the speech. It, it just occurred to me, I'm curious if anyone has tried it, new in iOS 17 is, and I was trying to get the name of it, it's actually an accessibility feature, but actually you Listen. can... No, no, no. It's you list. can train it to reproduce your own voice. In other words, you can generate your own. Yeah, we've own. talked about that a little bit. It's, it's uh, you know, it's 15 minutes of it, and it produces a, a relatively 
useful version. It's not, I, I wish Apple would let us, like if you're going to go do, do that path, we know that with more samples, it could get much better. So I'm hoping that they're kind of just doing this as the beginning of accessibility and then they're going to let us sit there and read 20. I would, I would sit down and read 20 hours of testing um, stuff so that it would... Uh, so that it could really build a strong model um, of myself. And I'm going to experiment with doing it with 11 labs. I have obviously have a lot of samples that I can put in. Um, but, uh, but I think that, uh, I, I think that it would be, um, I, you know, I love the idea of doing that. And I think that uh, it, it is, I, I just wish that, and maybe it's really effective. I just feel like it's 95% there. And, and I guess that's good enough. But I feel like it'd be really great if it was, if they just went ahead and finished it. Go ahead, Mitchell. It seems to be finding its way into the production workflow because I'm getting more jobs where I'm getting a scratch track from the producer that's been done with an AI voice just to get it in the ballpark uh, before I've read it. And then they just want to make sure that I read it in a similar time. So following uh, a AI scratch track is interesting. Hey, go ahead, Chris. There's the, uh, in iOS 17, and maybe this has been there before, but uh, there's a new thing in Safari where you can tell it to go ahead and read the page to you. Uh, I just found it last night. No, that, thought, that's what I was talking about that I use, and it's been there for a while. Where you can just, but you were talking just, about it uses your voice, yeah? Uh, sorry, two separate things. Just okay. the ability to use whatever voice you have Siri set to and read whatever you've just highlighted has been there for a while. Right, and then Alex, I have a question for you. So if you were going ha- to sample your voice... Do you want it to be your voice or your personality? This is an interesting thing because your voice, I mean, obviously you know how to read a, a voiceover. I love the story you tell me, you, you, you tell about uh, you, you did this one voice or you did it like 30 times to get it just right to when you were uh, at the beginning of your career. Or would you want it to be conversational, Alex? With, you know, because you speak as fast as you listen, and so sometimes, you know, you, yeah. you stutter and stuff. Would, would you want it? Would you want a little slider to like be more yeah. personality? I think, I think that you could, it would be fun to have it. Cause I definitely, uh, and a lot of us shift gears when you're talking to different people. So I, I will slow, slow down and speed up depending on who I'm talking to or what I'm talking about. And so I think that being able to figure that out, I think is, is, um, isn't, is important. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see. I do think that we're not very far away from at least our text messaging and so on and so forth, just being something that if I save that imprint that you can choose as, a, and I think this is important because I think this, this has to do with how Apple manages stuff inside of iMessages is that they don't want to necessarily give you the voice print of somebody else, but they may want to send it so that you, if, if you send me a text and I say, read the text, it, it's read as you. You know, like it's taking your, I think this is where we're going with this. Isn't that called voicemail? It is, but, but, <laughs> but imagine being able to text voicemail. Like I don't want to, the, the hard part, you could, you could sit there and read it and it, have it read out when someone's texting you, but you hear it as you, as, as opposed to vo- voicemail is really hard to deal with. I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's getting easier now that it's getting turned back into text, but, but it's, it, it is just a pain in the neck to, I mean, it's a pain to use. So anyway, um, next question. Tim Holm in San Lorenzo says, recommendations for services that will provide a transcript for audio and or video for a student to study lectures. Notes on a student budget. Go, Jesse. 
I'm going to tell you the techniques we use, and we use most of these in post. Uh, the first thing you would consider is uploading the video to YouTube and letting YouTube do an automatic transcription. If you have Premiere or Resolve, both of those have automatic transcription tools in the software. Um, Resolve is... Uh, I don't want to say light years ahead of Premiere and YouTube, but they are, they're running circles around them. Uh, Resolve is very sensitive to context. It will look at the text for the whole video and uh, kind of that crowbars it in different directions. We did a video that talked about uh, Tokyo and Japanese culture a lot, and it was more likely to subtitle words that were connected to Japanese language and, you know, and, and connected to Japan than if they were not talking about uh, Tokyo in the video. So it does uh, follow context. If you need this in real time, what you could be doing is live streaming your lectures to nobody on YouTube. So you set up the live stream, you leave it unlisted or private, and it will be uh, working on automatic transcription as you do the lecture. And you could email that link out to the students with uh, closed caption, or you could download the captioning from that lecture and then email that out as a text file. Yeah, and uh, look at the Whisper Whisper app. There's a variety: Whisper.ai, Mac Whisper, uh, Whisper. Those are all things that'll do it pretty automatically. And the thing that you can really get into is what AI is going to allow us to do with lectures: is take those lectures, convert them to text so that they can study them, but also summarize them, break up the the, the cogent points. Like it'll just it'll just dice this whole thing, dice the lectures up into things that the students can can look for and even make make it searchable. And, and I think that those are all things that are on their way um, to being useful. And the the reality is, I'm just going to keep on coming back to it, that the lectures are not particularly useful. <laughs> just seems like just so we're all on the same page. Uh, you know, like we think that lectures are important, but what what should be, what educators need to really think about is how to produce videos. Like, how do you produce videos that that talk about the subjects you want to talk about, even if it's just you working with student assistants, you know, and so on and so forth. But anything you're doing year over year should be pro provided. I mean, the lecture, then turn your lecture time into Q&A, you know, and, and, um, and I've been doing that for now. I was talking to somebody about it, uh, almost 30 years. Like, so when I started, when I was teaching at San Francisco State, what I did is I um, I had little videos that I would give you little quick times <laughs> that I would give people of how to do something. They were they were they were they were six forty by something or other, but they would tell some something and I'd give them to the students. Say here, watch these, and then I would we would do projects. And at the beginning of every show, at, at the beginning of every class, we would do exactly what we do here in office hours, which is that what are your questions? And people would then we ask questions, and we would answer all those questions, and we get about forty minutes into a class. And then we, then I'd say, okay, here's, and I'd, there'd be 10 minutes of new things that I would talk about. And then we would go work on it. They'd work on projects and then near the end, they'd ask some more questions and then they had homework and then they'd come back with the homework with more questions. And, you know, it was a much more effective than me sitting. And, and I started, I did like the first term, I did the standard lecture process. Well, kind of standard lecture process. And it was just not very effective. And this, this, they, they learned twice as fast, you know, like it was, and so, and that's the, the seed that became Pixel DV Garage and Pixel Core and Office Hours was this uh, lectures don't really work. Uh, go ahead, Chris. I, I was going to ask, I was going to mention something and I got, I got totally distracted. Were you doing 640 by 360 or three, 640 by 480 videos 30 years ago? Uh, yeah, it would have been 19, almost 30 years ago, 1996, 1997. Okay. 
So I got, was, I, got to, I got totally because <clears throat> most people were doing about <clears throat> excuse me three twenty by whatever. You but could do always. You could do them that at that at that size. I mean, no, I was no, doing, I, know, I, I know you could, but if you were sharing doing, it, no, I, but it was it was all in person. Like I handed it to them on a, on a drive. Like it wasn't. I wasn't uploading it. These were classes okay. in person. So I was handing them my little. These, I, I, we they passed a thumb drive around, or our little hard drive around. It wasn't a thumb drive back then. It was on our little hard drive that they would pass around and put it on their computers. So and watch them. So anyway, okay, I can't remember what I was going to say, but I, I got stuck on that. Sorry. I was. We were doing pretty. I mean, the funny thing was is that the, to to your point of sharing in two thousand is a little bit of a non sequitur, but in two thousand. The bandwidth was so expensive that we did all of our training in Flash. So all the we all the little animations were all done in Flash, so that we could. Um, uh, they were all done. We had there was an After Effects plugin at the time that would export Flash, so people would animate everything in in After Effects and then export it as Flash layers. And to this day, those trainings are unwatchable because QuickTime stopped supporting them because they were. We saved them as QuickTime files and put them on a web page, and it was you know one meg instead of thirty megs, and that we we could afford that. Go ahead, Jesse. Uh, just be sure to uh, know your class if you're taking Alex's advice. This works great for um, people who want to be in the classroom, but if it's a requisite course and it's at 8 a.m. and nobody wants to be there, the open floor for questions can be uh, teacher suicide. Yeah, it's. Um, I will say that if you get good at answering questions, people show up. I mean, that's the big thing. <laughs> you know, like that's the that's the distinction is that people if if it's you know people don't show up at eight o'clock to listen to someone drone on. Um, they they show up if they're if they're going to be if it's going to be part of the the conversation. It, it depends on just how good how good the class is. Um, you know, so uh, and and again, you I would always I always enter everything able to talk to something or show something if no one asks any questions, but. I have to admit that I've taught at all times and I've never had a class that didn't have enough questions. Uh, next question. Peter Moore in Auckland, New Zealand comes back next. FRFR amps, that's an, an initialism for full range flat response, have come to the fore for guitar players using digital effect pedals as well as keyboard synth players. Thoughts? Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Well, it makes sense that uh, if you're using something to emulate another amplifier, you know, that's uh, modeled, uh, digitally modeled after, uh, you know, your favorite guitar amp or your favorite synth sound, uh, that you're going to want something that's not going to color that uh, uh, changed sound once it gets to the amplifier. It's not going to add anything or change anything with its frequency and dynamics that... Uh, are going to mess up uh, all that wonderful digital modeling. So that makes sense. Uh, however, you probably don't want to send a naked feed into that amplifier because you'll get all the noise, you'll get all the hum, you'll get all the nasty stuff, uh, as well as the pristine audio. Good, Mickey. Yeah, I agree with uh, Courtney. It makes sense with uh, with all the emulation, um, cabinet emulation, also amplifier emulation that's happening now. But uh, I just wonder, because it's not my wheelhouse, I wonder how this differs with... Um, you know, standard uh, monitor wedges that people use and or, or also in-ear monitors. Like, why have a separate um, uh, dedicated amplifier that, I don't know, is this meant to be mic'd up uh, like with the SM57 uh, by the front of house engineer? Or is this just essentially another monitor wedge? Sorry. Uh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Chris. 
That was amazing. Uh, I've got a lot of computers here. I was setting up for the second hour. And I was like, there was my, I suddenly realized I was on the wrong keyboard and I was testing audio. So my mic was off and it's all set up for the second hour. This can never happen again. Uh, Mickey, it may be just for like a rehearsal space. Like if if you want to really listen to what the output of that amp, uh, uh, emulator is making you'd want a full range full you know quality speaker and amp so that you'll know what's actually getting to front of house when you go to a show it may not be actually for like uh, a, a, a smaller a setup where it, it's just the the guitar player or the keyboard player listening to it essentially Getting guitars to sound the way guitars want to sound and the way a guitar player wants to hear it is is forever a problem. Most of the time on stage, they have the amp behind them. I always, t- I always say, I'm like, do you have, like, ears on the back of your ankles? Like, how do you know what this sounds like? Why don't you guys put the amps in front of you so you actually hear it? Anyway, it's weird. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I think this kind of a setup would be more for like the lounge player, you know, at the Silver Suaro at the Holiday Inn or something uh, lounge, where they're just going to have uh, they're a, it's a cover band thing, so that they can sound like uh, any of their favorite bands and cover. Next question. Douglas Carmichael's up next. Carl Palmer, the ex Emerson Lake and Palmer drummer, is touring with Behringer Wing with a Behringer Wing at front of house. What have your experiences been with Behringer's support? Would you trust their support in a critical touring application? Good, Mickey. I think with the Wing, I know a lot of people, even up to now, uh, that uh, have there, there have been issues with the Wing product line, and it's been taking months to get their unit serviced. Even people here. In the Philippines, uh, where uh, Music Tribe is based, um, it's taking them months to get their wings repaired. Um, on the other hand, if it were like something like an X32 or an M32, an advantage if they were using those mixers instead is that they're everywhere. So if something happens to their unit, they can go to the nearest um, rental house or even house of worship and find uh, stacks of X32s that they could rent out. Good, Mitchell. Yeah, I agree with Mickey. I, I, Behringer would not be my first choice if I were doing front of house on a tour. I'd be more like Digico or Behringer. I think I'd uh, go Digico. Next question. Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas says, does the Zoom F6 field mixer maker make anything that competes with the Scorpio or the 888 by sound devices? Go ahead, Mickey. Yeah, similar to what uh, Mitchell was saying earlier with Behringer versus, versus Digico, it's totally different um, markets. They're, those products or those companies are uh, aim their products towards totally different markets. Um, with the sound devices gear, even from the very first step of the signal chain, the, the preamps, the, the Zoom recorders are, you know, they're, they're decent. They get the job done, but they... I would dare say they they would never compete at at the level of the preamps of sound devices and every everything else in the from usability to uh, fidelity to um, to all the routing controls. Um, there's no it doesn't really match up. Good, Courtney. Yeah, I'd say if you're going to use all the DSP availability on the sound devices stuff, you know, the Zoom doesn't have any of that. Um, However, Zoom uh, does have pretty quiet preamps on the F-Series. If you use the F-Series, the F-8, and the F-6, and they also have the uh, their control software that runs on a uh, uh, 
a phone or a tablet that you can use to actually see your levels and control your levels. I think the, there was a problem with the the iOS app for the sound devices. You could see your levels, but you couldn't control them. Maybe they've changed that since the last time I looked at it. Uh, uh, their wingman software. Uh, but I like that about the Zoom. It has a little Bluetooth interface for it so that you can control it remotely. And the preamps are not that bad. Look at Curtis Judd does a comparison between the uh, Mix Pre series. It's not the equivalent of the of the uh, you know Scorpio, but the Mix Pre series, the six and the three, it's pretty comparable. So look at it at Curtis Judd's com- and listen to Curtis Judd's comparison of those two machines, and you may be surprised. Next question. Håkon Force in uh, Stockholm, Sweden, says, Any thoughts on what is coming in NDI 6? What are you looking for? Roberto Musso will demo the DLZ Creator from Mackie, the first audio hardware product to integrate NDI technology, tomorrow on YouTube. That looks exciting. I mean, it, it finally hardware. <laughs> so, so I think that'll be interesting to see how that how that goes. Um, I haven't seen too much. I, I assume NDI six was announced at IBC, um, you know, or or what their their roadmap is. I don't because I don't think we talked about it in the last show that we did a couple of weeks before. So, um, so it'll be interesting. I don't have a lot of other details related to it, but we should check that out. But I think that um, I think it's a good place for Mackie because I think I don't hear the that brand very often <laughs> anymore. So I don't, it just doesn't come up in conversation. So I think it's good for them to, to find somewhere that is a vertical that, that um, they can stake out. Next question. Sharif in Oman has the next question. As I am preparing to establish a new setup for remote guest interviews, I would appreciate recommendations on the most new and reliable systems currently available. I'm aware of several existing solutions, including Zoom ISO, Epifan Connect, and vMix. Go, Jeff. Well, uh, Descript, uh, sorry, I don't know why that's showing. Let me switch that. But Descript uh, just acquired uh, or merged with Squadcast. And it's a really interesting partnership. Squadcast was already um, one of the top in terms of doing exactly that. And now what's interesting is the integration. And it's still not not complete integration right now, uh, but they're migrating. So right now it's still Squadcast is still a separate website and an account but the accounts are merged and 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 your descript plan covers your squadcast interview times so in other words if you have 10 hours with descript then you you have 10 hours that you could also use it, not both but one or the other or 10 hours of uh remote interview time and um the integration of course is going to get better and and basically you do your remote interview and then you now have that in your descript project so uh very cool and does does squadcast do video or is it just audio both so you, you can you can see the person on the other side absolutely yeah yeah and, I, I and think... it's and it's doing um you know like a like a um uh, it's it's doing local recording as well as streaming yeah. it and storing it to the server. Um, and is it recording so both of video and audio locally? Yes. And uh, it's interesting. And and it would be interesting to see if it does like a source connect sort of. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because it, it's, I think that that's a, I mean, a lot of us, because it was announced, a lot of us have waited for Zoom to do um, double ending, but we're kind of giving up <laughs> that, that it'll actually come out. So, um, so the, uh, so I'm, we're looking for, you know, double ending solutions to, to make that actually work um, because it, it is important. It's, it's actually re- possibly related to what we're going to talk about in the second hour. Uh, go ahead, Mickey. Yeah, I think there there are multi, multiple ways uh, that this question could be parsed. Um, like, is this, what is the intended workflow? Is this meant for live? Is this meant to be able, do you need to transport broadcast quality signal to the opposite side? Um, or is this something that would be posted um, in the traditional sit-down interview um, world where it's being recorded? Uh, we would typically, uh, I would be t- typically part of the uh, local crew with the interviewee. And we would just bring in the producer or the director remotely, usually someone from a network overseas, and that that's typically done um, uh, with uh, with nowadays Zoom, but even back fifteen twenty years ago over Skype. Um, and we're not transporting broadcast quality signal to the opposite end. It's just enough to have for the director and or producer to have a conversation with the interviewee while we're having while we're recording the broad, the full broadcast quality signal locally on the cameras and audio recorders uh, on site. If this is for something that's live, um, there are multiple ways to backhaul the signal. Um, uh, Alex uses uh, um, companies like the Switch a lot or LTN, but those, of course, come with with a heftier price tag, but they are able to transport uncompressed and also very, very low latency uh, across across the world uh, over private fiber lines, um, you can also do LRT with a live view system, SRT, uh, Zoom, Zoom over Zoom ISO uh, over uh, works as well. Although that's limited to four, five, six megabits per second at 10, 1080p. So depending again on what workflow and what quality you need, there are multiple solutions you can use. Yeah, the 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 thing that. Uh... That is, you know, we, the, for the highest quality, we want to send a kit out to them that is going to have a camera and, a vid, and potentially, you know, a camera as well as some kind of local record that we can record the highest quality. So the bigger kits that we have, we send out a Mac Mini and it also has a, a Blackmagic 6K uh, or a Sony uh, as well as a MixPre uh, 3 that has, you know, that, that is recording. And then we're going to get the highest quality on that end. Um, now that might be, you know, for the podcast that we do, uh, we just send out a mic. <laughs> Let's improve the quality of what they have. And they're transporting that back over Zoom. Um, so that's more consumer. The, the thing you want to look at is latency. So when, the, when you, increase, uh, when you cr- increase the stability using SRT, LRT, those types of things, you generally increase the latency as well. So Zoom is very low latent, um, but it's also... Um, it, it can be a little less stable because of that, so it's more more it's more susceptible to Wi-Fi um, and other things that that might wash it out. Next question. Next one comes to us from Douglas Carmichael. I'm working with a local church to help them build their PA or streaming infrastructure. While they are excited about the possibilities, how do you make sure a church doesn't lose sight of its core mission, even with an added channel of communications? Go, Jesse. Our experience with uh, client excitement regarding streaming is very similar to our experience with uh, client excitement regarding drones. Very, very high at first and then automatically self-correcting once they become familiar with, once they're reminded of the laws of physics and the risk associated with what they're doing. Uh, So don't be surprised if within, you know, four to eight weeks they have tempered their excitement and have a much more pragmatic view of what they're planning to do with streaming. The other thought that's on my mind is we allocate 
about 70% of our thought space to uh, keeping keeping an eye, making sure that we don't lose sight of our core mission, and 25% of our thought space to making sure the core mission doesn't lose sight of the actual business. So be open to the idea of the, the core mission changing a little as you start broadcasting with this church. Go, Jeff. And that's really what I wanted to uh, maybe just pose the question, which is because the question seems to imply they're they're somewhat at odds. And I would say, uh, doesn't this perhaps serve that very core mission? In other words, if you, if the goal is to reach your community, uh, like businesses, you want to do everything you can to reach your community in any and every way possible that makes sense to both you and, and the community you're trying to serve. And, and this might let you do that. Next question. Chester Sweeney, uh, back again for a live small gig offline. When there's too much reverb and no carpet, should we bring a carpet or throw rugs for the reflective floor? Go ahead, Jesse. Uh, yes, carpets and throw rugs. It's the one piece of equipment that never leaves the production vehicle. We unload cameras, we unload tripods, but the carpets stay there because we know we're going to be using them on almost every shoot we do. Go ahead, Mickey. Yeah, certainly uh, carpets, uh, sound blankets, frinny pads, any thick, dense, heavy material that you can hang around that can absorb the sound waves would help. You can throw them up on stands. Another option would be uh, baffles that are on wheels. These are typically uh, wooden frames that are probably 30 to 50 centimeters thick that's filled with uh, rock wool or or uh, fiber insulation and co- covered with fabric on both sides on wheels so that you can move them around. Um, those would help immensely uh, for larger spaces where uh, that, that that have high ceilings. If ever uh, you need to be a bit more presentable, or like I say, if there's going to be an in-house audience, you can also fill that the the ceiling up with large um, inflatable balloons, and a lot of those could, could cut the reflections coming from the ceiling, ceiling going back down. Good, Mitchell. Agreed. I think the most effective uh, sound reduction device that's made is the room treatment before you do the recording, because if you expect to fix everything in post, it's always going to be a compromise. So spend your time doing things like was just uh, suggested, sound blankets, carpets, all of that stuff will save you a lot of trouble in the back end. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, definitely travel with the carpets. Uh, the floor is only one surface, though, and uh, you l- got to look for parallel surfaces and break up at least one side of each parallel surface. So if you can do that, it'll do a great deal to remove your uh, uh, time here, the time decay of your echo. So C-stands with uh, furniture pads for any walls that are not on camera, uh, raise them up and get them in front of those parallel walls. At least one of the parallel walls walls will cut down all the standing waves, which is the thing that creates all that long decay echo. Next question. Un Shaktorji in Dharmshala, India. Greetings. What kind of audio solution does parliaments have? Do they use a DSP? Can you discuss the Tibetan parliament in exile is in session and audio has disturbances? Thanks. Go ahead, go ahead Mickey. Yeah, a lot of these uh, halls have a uh, a conference audio system. Uh, popular ones are from from the likes of uh, Bosch. The Decentis system is very popular, and also uh, Shure has a slightly more uh, affordable system as well. Um, these uh, systems usually do run through DSP, typically an auto mix engine, as well as um, 
automatic uh, compression and expansion as well, so so that they can have a uh, a nice even um, uh, output on both the PA system and also anyone who wants a broadcast feed through a press box um, without someone always on the feeders. Yeah, and. and Oftentimes, if there's disturbances, it's not the equipment. Um, I, I saw the video that was posted earlier. The equipment looks like it's pretty close to top of the line or in the top, you know, top half of the type of equipment you would use. Usually, you're wanting to look at your signals. So how are your signals um, going? So if they're audio, how are they being transported? If it's wireless, you could have a lot of problems. Um, so wireless is pretty dangerous if you're going to do something to a lot of different desks all at the same time in a closed area. It's something that we would tend to avoid. Uh, I don't know if it is or not. Um, but those are the kind of things that we would look at. And then, and then of course, the, the how, how it's being transported after it gets out of there. It, looking at the video that was posted a couple days ago, I don't think it's something with the core equipment that's there. I think that there's something going on with the transport. Uh, go ahead, Mickey, real quick. Yeah, I recall uh, seeing that video. I think it was last week, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it sounds like there's there's a uh, there's a lot of possible things going on there. Uh, even basic things uh, like using uh, using XLR connectors, but only one leg is uh, is wired, essentially turning it into an an unbalanced connection. Simple things like that could cause havoc. I, go ahead, Courtney. And in a country that has a lot of political disturbances, you know, jamming is not out of the question. It's possible that... And this is in India. So this is uh, this is in India, not, not Tibet. Um, and the, but I've parliament actually, in exile leads me to believe that uh, there might be somebody opposing that yeah. parliament in exile. So there, they, there could be sending signal disturbances in there that are creating problems with any kind of wireless equipment. Even if Yeah, I, I would definitely try to avoid wireless there. Um, I've actually been in that room. <laughs> so it's, and it's pretty, it's pretty close to the center of that building. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, connect. it would be, I think it would be hard and not impossible to do jamming into that. Uh, but I, but I think that, um, uh, I think that there, there'd be a, I'd be concerned about the any kind of wireless. And I think that you wouldn't need jamming to have a, a wireless system in that area uh, have issues. Um, next question. Uh, Georgie Chantvery bortnik in Swissvale, New Hebrides says, how do we find and get the perpetual license for the Stream Deck on mobile for iPad and phone that Jeffrey was promoting the other day? I don't see the option for the paid upgrade in the store. I don't think it's there. So I, I don't know if Jeffrey, I think Jeffrey might have gotten into something that was grandfathered in or, or something like that, that was, that was part of that. I don't think that, uh, uh, that there is a way to do that. So I apologize, but I don't, I don't think, I think you're missing it because it's no longer available. I think it was there for a while. I think it was $8 or $6 or something like that. But they, like everybody else, I think have moved to a subscription model. And so if you haven't already, already purchased it, I'm not sure that you can. I think when you upgrade, you'll, you'll need to go to the subscription model. Next question. Jeff Francis in Columbia, South Carolina, says using Stream Deck and Companion, could I send keystrokes, page up and down and arrow keys specifically, to an iPad, either via Bluetooth or Wi-Fi? Go ahead, Mickey. Uh, Jeff, I'm assuming this is for uh, doing a page flips on on your digital sheet music. Um, if so, I would probably recommend looking at, uh, there are a bunch of either U- USB or Bluetooth-based um, foot pedals that would allow you to do page flips. Uh, uh, I know with apps that I use, such as uh, Scriptation, I'm able to flip pages on my on my script using the, using a foot pedal. Um, but if you really want to do something with Stream Decks and Companion, uh, you can probably figure out something with Arduinos. Next question. 
David Brady in New York City is up next. What's the preferred method to store microphones? I have a few that aren't in circulation, a Heil PR40, Tascam TM80M, a Sennheiser 416, and others, and want to ensure they're treated well. Go, Jason. Um, if you don't already have the ones that um, came in cases, the PR40 comes in a really nice case. Um, I, I would say custom foam, Pelican case, and be sure to put desiccant, those little things that come in, you know, vitamin packs. Those those are designed to absorb moisture. You don't have to buy those commercially. You can just put them in and they'll work just as well as, as they did in keeping your B12 clean. Jeff? Yeah, that, that's first and foremost is typically going to be the case it came in. If you have that, of course, it, it's made for it. Um, barring a custom rack, which keeps them vertical and everything, that's going to be the best for storage. And the three main things, you know, you want to keep them climate controlled. So out of humidity, you want to keep them away from dust because dust will accumulate inside on the pickups. And then you know, sometimes overlooked is out of sun. You know, if it's somewhere where sun is hitting it constantly, it's going to dry it out. So those are the three main things you're trying to protect it from. Go ahead, Mickey. Yeah, definitely for a long-term storage, uh, I agree. Uh, keeping them in the uh, the original case that they, they came with, if they did come in with one, would be my, my go-to for long-term storage. Um, and uh, Philippines being super, super humid, uh, we keep our microphones in a in a dry box if we're not going to use it for long uh, for long periods of time. Uh, for shorter term storage, um, something like a four sixteen, uh, I have little PVC tubes or PVC pipes that have threaded caps on them, and that's how I store the four sixteen because the um, the box itself is quite bulky. While keeping them in tiny little PVC pipes is a lot easier to store and also to travel with. Next question. Next one comes to us from James Babbitt here in San Diego. For Zoom meetings, I use the Shox OpenCom Bluetooth headset with a built-in boom mic. Is there a way to fix the lag between my speaking and then hearing my speech after a delay in the earpieces? Maybe use loopback? Mickey? Yeah, Bluetooth uh, itself is inherently, inherently very latent. So there's no real way around it. And also bear in mind that whenever you have a signal that is uh, digitized, that A to D conversion and also on the way back, that D to A conversion will also add latency to it. Um, so there's no real way around it, especially if it's also going through a uh, an OS, which in itself also adds latency. So there's no real way around around the latency of hearing uh, hearing yourself back. Next question. Uh, Brian Taylor in Washington, D.C. is up with this. The production team where I work cannot, for the life of us, get Premier's project manager to work consistently or at all most of the time. What gives? Mitchell? Sounds like you have a corrupted uh, preference file. There's a keystroke uh, that allows it when you start Premiere to rebuild that, and that's probably a good place to start to get rid of those uh, preferences that might be messed up. Next question. How can force again from Stockholm? Can you use pre-installed SMPTE 311 cables for networking in NDI? Football stadiums here in Sweden usually have SMPTE 311 cables pre-installed to all camera positions. I don't think so. Um, I don't think that you can use those that way. It could be the case, but I think 
typically those are not going to be the same transport methods. So I'm not 100% sure about that, but I don't, I don't think that that'll cross over. I, def, I definitely wouldn't try it for a mission-critical event. Next question. Chester Sweeney's back from Las Vegas with this one. Soundcraft versus Mackie. Who makes the most bang for the bucks small mixer? Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, my personal choice is Soundcraft, although I'm watching very carefully to see what's going on now that Samsung has bought Harman, uh, and they fired a lot of the original engineers that work Soundcraft. So perhaps they're going to be slipping a little bit, but uh, we'll just have to see. Behringer X30, uh, XR18. <laughs> That's where I would go with that. Uh, go ahead, uh, Mickey. Yeah, I'd say uh, either the the Behringer X32 line or M32 line, and or the uh, Yamaha DM3 or DM3D line as well. Yeah. Next next question. Chen Olson in Sandpoint, Idaho. What does everyone think of the new T series Moment lenses for the iPhone 15? And he's got the link there. Go, ahead, Jesse. I think they're fun little toys. Why not enjoy them? If you're on the Pro or the Pro Max, it's really hard to justify uh, add-ons because the uh, lens range is so broad. But, well, you know, have, have fun. Enjoy it. The Moment lenses in general, the glass is actually really good. So I, I haven't looked at these ones specifically for the 15, but the, uh, they do make a difference and they give you focal lengths that you're not going to be able to get with the phone. And um, I've, I've been very successful using them on larger kits. And it, it just gives it, there's something about going through that glass that gives it this kind of buttery feel that you don't get from the phone. The phone is a little bit more clinical and uh, the, the Moment lenses add something to it that, that I, I find very pleasing. So on, uh, we've used them on a bunch of projects. Again, I haven't used these ones yet, uh, but but I have have a, a relatively large collection of moment lenses. Uh, next question. Hogan Force is back from Stockholm. In my last live stream, the stadium sound was very loud. The auto mixer for the commentators stopped working, and I got an echo between the commentators. Recommendations? Go ahead, Mickey. My my theory with that, I assume it's because of the bleed of the in-house PA system going into the the non-speaking. Um, uh, presenters microphones uh my theory with that is typically if it's um if you're having the if the auto mixer is having difficulty you you may have too much dynamic range compression on your channels meaning the um the actual person speaking uh their voice being brought down because of the compression while the the other people's microphones are being opened up because the the signal is not nearly as strong to push that the, the those other channels down. Um, if that is not the case, then uh, as actual faders work. Um, if auto mix doesn't work, use your fingers. Good, Courtney. Yeah, before auto mix, most of the time, and especially in Europe, they use these Coles lip mics like the 410 or 4104B, which you hold right up. It's a noise-canceling microphone. It it keeps you an exact distance away from that front capsule and all the other reverb and sound comes in the back canceling, uh, back side of the microphone and cancels itself out. So it gives you a very clean. It's used for a lot of commentators in European sports stadiums. I was just looking at it. My, my kids were like, what mic? We were watching Ted Lasso and they're like, what mic is that? You know, very, there was a lot of confusion there. Uh, and, and again, the, the, it, it really depends on the mic and how far, you know, there's just a certain physics of how far that mic is away from your, your lip. And those lip mics are about as good as it gets <laughs> as far as how close you can get to the, to the mic. Next question. 
Peter Moore in Auckland, New Zealand. Sweetwater just demoed this synth, and he's got a link below. Pretty cool. They're using an Arturio Keystep keyboard, which I have. Nice. It's a 1K multimedia model. Thoughts? One for audio night? Good, Jesse. I am always so happy when there's an audio device with all the knobs and buttons on it, especially if it's targeted at entry-level audio, uh, just because it's so important to, to feel that physical switch so you can learn the difference between a square wave and a triangle wave and all the different types of adjustments you can make to your, your digitally created audio. I also really like this video because um, they they jump in with both feet. The, the demo that they give at the beginning is uh, a real wall of sound experience, and I was I was uh, enjoying that very, very much. Next question. Next one comes to us from Jeff Cohen, and I believe it's for John Preto. John, in your use of 11 labs, what's the rough minimum minutes or hours of sample speech you need to provide for quality results? We John. took a, we took a, Courtney, how long was that one video where you were showing your geek uh, program? 15 minutes or something? Yeah, about between 15 and 30 minutes, I think, yeah. Yeah, so we just take YouTube videos or, you know, anything uh, 15 plus and, and they come out fantastic. I'll definitely play with that more. I, I, I think I like the idea, though, of it being somehow inserted into my operating system. So that's what I'm excited about with what Apple's doing. But I think the 11 labs is is useful there. Uh, next question. Hoken Force back again from Stockholm. Any recommendations on rain covers for custom camera rigs with larger monitors and video transmitters? Mickey. Yeah, Porter Brace is a is an industry standard for decades now. They make uh, covers for all sorts of equipment from uh, a variety of manufacturers. And if you really need something that's very very custom, they do that as well. Good, Bill. Yeah, and my go-to for rain covers was the Marker Tech catalog. I think they're still uh, featuring those, so go to that. It's a huge catalog with all sorts of accessories and peripherals. And rain covers, I believe, used to be a uh, subcategory for them. Next question. Robert Sababadi in Poland. I just wanted to say that I like the way this season is being cut. Nice job. Back end crew. I think he said session. Uh, but, but the, session. um, and, and I think that this was from yesterday. I think it came in on our, on our, uh, um, through the, through the thing. But, but I think that uh, Richard did a great job. And, and, and I think that Michael Smith's doing a great job today. So he's, he's following along. But I think this one was referring to, uh, yesterday's and and so it was so i think that it was good and and we're getting everybody's getting better michael's doing a great job today richard did a great job yesterday and uh, and if you're interested in doing those kinds of things let us know next question peter moore auckland new zealand a lot of my youtube vids i have watched the a have ai voiceovers now they're reasonably accurate and some of the channels are better for it giving office hours and after hours uh yep i could search can the panel recommend any of these and the pros and cons between them go ahead jesse uh, the pros are, is that an, autom an artificial intelligence voiceover will sound better and uh, more appealing to a general audience member than somebody with a terrible, terrible microphone. Like if you watch a YouTube channel and they're using the mic built into their laptop webcam, uh, it's going to sound pretty rotten. And the AI, I do feel, is a step above that. The con is right there in the question. It's reasonably accurate. It's good enough. And good enough is not good enough. I go ahead, Bill. I just have to say, my wife came in the other day and said, oh, I can clearly hear an AI voice in what you're watching today. And it was a news broadcast. And sure enough, it wasn't. It was just a terrible, 
person <laughs> talking on. So the people are starting to mistake bad human for AI. That makes me laugh. <laughs> um, uh, go ahead, Courtney. Uh, yeah, there's one called Murph AI uh, that's used. And a lot of times you'll see these on YouTubes because they're, you know, YouTube videos that are created with stock video footage and a text. And it's someone who's maybe they want to post an English version and English isn't their their primary language. So an AI voice is a good choice then because somebody with a heavy accent uh, in a foreign language or doesn't have a full grasp of the English language, these type of uh, AI synthesized voices can be a uh, saver, and then you can put them out in, in several different languages with the AI voices. Coming up, uh, we're about to start t talking about our little audio glitch here in just a minute, um, but uh, also coming up in the next, uh, the rest of the week, we're going to talk about IBC uh, tomorrow, not how it was made, uh, but that's going to come a little later, but really what we saw, what were the new announcements, and, and we're going to kind of take a look at that. So so take a look at what was announced last week, and we'll, uh, a lot of people are just getting back and recovering from it, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Friday, uh, Corey Benke is going to be here from LiveX, and he's going to talk about the virtual video control room service that they have, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they put together. They've been putting this together for quite some time. So uh, so definitely stay tuned for that. And um, of course, uh, Saturday and Sunday are two hours of Q&A, Sunday being the more introspective of uh, talking about office hours. Now let's go ahead and jump into the second hour. And we're back. <laughs> we almost hit it. <laughs> so close. Uh, anyway, so uh, we're we're still working on that. Um, anyway, so the um, uh, so we're back for the second hour, and we are um, uh, talking a little bit about a glitch that we saw um, in in something last week in a recording. And again, the re the reason we wanted to bring it up is because one of the advantages of doing your own stuff is that we can talk about it. You know, a lot of times, and 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 there's nothing. There was no one at fault as much as just uh, we're trying to dig up, you know, what, what, what actually happened and what, what I thought would be interesting here. And you can throw questions in. Well, this is an experiment to see if like bringing up things and talking through them uh, is something we want to do for second hours. Um, but, um, but basically uh, what we're doing is we're recording and I'm going to play it out for you here in a second. Um, uh, but we were recording podcasting. Now what we're, how we record those podcasts, of course, is that we record them on our side uh, through Zoom. So we're using Zoom as a transport. And so um, we have a, um, we're recording one side locally, but the remote person is um, is coming in over Zoom. We record both those channels. We don't record on their end. So we don't know where, if there's something wrong, we don't know exactly where it is. Now I'll talk about the pipeline in a second, but I'll play this out for you and see if we can't um, get this working here. So let me uh, cut to this and see if I can do this here. And I'm going to go to full screen so I can see it. And uh, I'm going to turn up the audio and hopefully it's not too loud. Um, and so let's see here. Let me grab and I got to change my change what mouse. I don't use continuity because it drives me crazy. So um, I know that that I probably should. Uh, let's see here. So um, you should be able to hear it through here. Some of it will be clean and some of it will not, but you'll um, but we'll talk about that uh, when we get to it. So, um, all right. Let's see. Let me let me know if you can hear this. Nothing so far. You can't hear that. I nope. can't hear that. Oh, this is because of the. Hold on. Sorry. This will make my thing sound a little odd, but uh, this will work for what we're trying to do here. 
nothing audio and the video feedback looks like it's breaking up at feedback maybe feedback well it, it things are getting squirrely looking and the text mm. on the screen so it i was thinking video feedback is it being mm. looped into itself maybe no anyway um so let's uh let's see we tend to think that's can you hear that now okay nope oh no nope. i can't yes you can't you're on the left and it's on the right yeah, so was, I had to split it on that output there. So, uh, Bill, you can't if you're listening to only one channel. You yeah, I'm in mono, so yeah. So you'll hear it. You'll hear it here. So let's let's listen to it. We'll only listen to it for a second, and then we'll we'll go from there. Welcome to this episode. Oh, I just just somehow reset that that thing there. So let's go back. Okay, here we go. Imagination is guided by our experience here on Earth. Uh, it's a small rock. We tend to think that's uh, pretty much what there is out there in the universe. So many of my colleagues think that anything we see in the sky must be a stone. Uh, and I call that the stone age of science. Uh, we should expect the unexpected in the sense that, you know, life uh, elsewhere may be very different than here. Uh, and uh, now that was the worst one. So that's what you. Now, when we look at it, the interesting thing here is that when we when we break it up, when we look at this um, this process, one of the things I noticed as I as I went through it is that you will see it go. See here, this is the uh, this is normal waveform, and this is the waveform that we got. So I was analyzing the waveform, and this is important as you know. So I look at waveforms pretty quickly if I have a problem because they start to, at least I start to observe what the a problem might be. Um, so what it really seems like is somehow it's, it is scrambling, you know, what, what's coming in here is the, the waveform is getting scrambled here where you can see like it almost matches up to what the other things look like here. Now there's, because there's other ways that this can happen. So if we look at one of the things we look for, what I was looking for when I went into the waveform was oftentimes we'll see um, a loss of, uh, um, we'll, we'll see a loss of bits themselves. So the bits will, so you'll see a waveform like this, and then you'll see a, a gap like that. Um, and these are lost, sec these are lost um, bits <laughs> that, that, that are coming in. The packets got lost, and that's not what we see here. Um, and so, so that this this is something we kind of know of. Now, let's talk a little bit about the um, the pipeline that we actually had here. So, let me um, uh, go to. Let's see. I think I can go to this one. Let's make sure that I can do this. Yeah. So, um, what we just to kind of give you a sense of the pipeline that we that we have here is that um, on the user side we had and I. Um, the mic was a, uh, um, it was a, actually, I'm not sure what, 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 what mic they had there. I'm not, I'm not going to guess that right now, but it's a, it's a USB, uh, I'm sorry, not a USB mic. This was a, um, XLR microphone. And I don't think that that's going to I believe it to say Rode pod mic. Oh, Rode pod mic. Okay. Rode pod mic. And it went into a Scarlet, which as you know, I will immediately blame <laughs> so anyways it went and went in doubt so so the um but it went into a scarlet here um now one thing that we were not able to find out um is then we have a laptop and uh what we don't know and this could be the most important thing is what happened here did the scarlet go directly into the laptop or did it go through 
a hub. And that's that's something that we don't we're not gonna, we we don't want to grab onto there. Um, then of course this goes uh, via Zoom across and on our end. Um, this goes uh, it it comes into a um, a Mac Mini, a Mac Mini, and then it is over Dante um, to now. It goes to a couple of different places, but the one that's mo- most important is that it does um, uh, DVS. Uh, um, Dante virtual sound card to the recorder. So that, I mean, it, it goes to a lot of, it goes into Dante and it goes to a lot of other things, but the thing that is the most important to us is going into that recorder. Mickey, is there anything I'm missing there in that pipeline? I think that that... Um, I, I think it's important as well to state what, what is being used as a recorder because there are, I believe, three records happening uh, yeah, so of audio. So we're using a... Um, we're... To, to do this record, we're using a Joko, and we're using um, Boom Recorder, and those are the two. Those are the two that we grab the files. I also was. I often record to Logic. Um, that file that record failed because of user error. <laughs> but <laughs> so you weren't weren't happen. recording in the Scorpio at all. That would be where I would record first. Uh, it's not going to the Scorpio, so it is. Um, it is going to. It's going to these to be recorded, so they, it goes out of DVS. The other place that it goes now is an X32, and that is mixed into the live show. But that's not, um, I don't think, unless Mickey is, I, I don't. I think the raw tracks that we record, though, are still, um, those are coming straight from DVS, I mean, straight from the, the Mac Mini. Is that correct, Mickey? Uh, yeah, we're yeah, recording, um, we're, we're recording the raw out of uh, DVS, out of the Mac Mini. Um, yep. But also recording multiple variations out of the X32 post fader, um, the, the full broadcast mix, and uh, right. a, a variety of them. But the uh, raw records are coming directly from the Mac Mini. And the uh, and the the key here is that um, yeah the the there's a lot of the stuff with the X32 here, but it's not it's not what you just heard was did not go through the X32 to make that actually happen. So it went straight from the Mac mini to the, to the Joko. And I'm, that's a jo- the Joko recording. We also looked at the boom record and they, I mean, and then we also in the live stream, we heard it. So it's, it, it was coming. We do believe that there's, so there's two places or well, there's three places that we're looking um, that, that are here. And, and again, we don't have the answer. So this isn't one of those, this is not a class where we come out and say, oh, and this was the, this was the answer. <laughs> we, we are still, and we may never know exactly what happened, but we're, we're investigating it. So the, the three places that we think that it could be, of course, is DBS. So DBS could be breaking up somewhere. Um, Zoom. So Zoom could have, although we did send it to someone at Zoom that we all know, and doesn't look like the kind of thing or doesn't sound like the kind of thing that's happened in Zoom in the past. And then the other and the final one here is looking at the um, if there was a USB hub, it could, you know, it could be affected there. A USB hub, if it was going through that, which we won't know and we won't be able to find out. So um, these are we think that these are the three um Things and we, we'll probably give you an update at some point. Probably not a whole second hour, but we'll give you an update once we've done a couple more tests. Um, but but we think that there now the, the thing that we what we do know is that Mickey heard you heard in Zoom, Mickey the the um, uh, you heard in <laughs> big mess. Uh, but in when you were in Zoom and you heard the problem, right? Not just in the tail end, but you heard the, that glitching in. 
uh, in Zoom on the other end in the meeting. Is that correct? Yes, and I'm, um, I'm going to fade myself up here. I'm right now coming through a different pipeline. I'm actually going through the um, the gray matter pipeline, going through that exact Mac Mini right now. And I must be totally off sync because I did not do any uh, syncing here. Right. Um, but yes, I did hear the noise directly or the an anomaly directly from within the Zoom meeting. Yeah, so that means that that, so what what we do is by looking at that, we start to go, well, this isn't, this is probably not it if if Mickey is here and he can hear it from here then it 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 limits our our search to zoom or the user um situation because this is now Vicky, Mickey's hearing it from the reflector you know so so now we think it's either a zoom transport or the or the host app if 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 Mickey can, if, if he heard it before it got to here yeah go ahead Jeff yeah um can you tell us when uh, this started? You know, in other words, how far into the recording? Yeah, it started. It started in about two. I just played the first one for you, so it started at about um, uh, two um, and a half minutes in, and then it it came and went, and by the middle of it, it kind of stopped. So it just, you know, it was. So it didn't. It, the, the other thing about that is that it wasn't regular. So that you know, that's a that's oftentimes a. Uh, we're looking for something that happens over and over and over again, um, and that didn't that didn't occur. And again, because Mickey heard it in the Philippines, it's not our connection. You know, it's not so, but it could be his connection. I mean, it could be something that's on his connection. It's just that the reason that we are not sure about that is because um, it is uh, not. Um, it's not a. Uh, I mean, it could be a connection, but it's not the kind of thing. That's not usually what it sounds like when it degradates. I think that's the issue that we have. The the, the thing it sounded like to me immediately um, is, is, of course, Leo Laporte famously always had that problem, especially when people were using USB mics. But, um, you know, where eventually and it was usually longer into the into the record. But then oh, all yeah, of a sudden they, they start to scramble. They unplug the mic, plug it back in and problem solved. Did, did you have him do unplug any of his stuff we didn't um the uh the yeah we, we didn't we didn't have him do that it, it didn't it didn't sound like i know exactly what you're talking there and when that happens it's unlistenable and it's constant like i'm, I'm i've been in those shows i've actually had to unplug and plug my my mic in to do it myself but they you can't hear anything it's just it just completely falls apart you know once that usb uh, issue happens so i don't think that it's I don't think it's that. Um, yeah, go ahead, uh, Courtney. Sorry, I had to get to my mute button. Um, you weren't recording in the Scorpio, although you could have been. For There's no once. Scorpio in the pipeline. What is the first thing the microphone's plugged into? His microphone's plugged into an X32, but Michael's oh. was fine. Oh, I see. Okay. So that USB interface between the whatever the first, what is the first the Scorpio or that's using for mic preamper on the his input. or ours. We have no problem on our end. We had no garbling on our on our side, so it's the other side that that had a garbling. Well, between that first laptop, what type of laptop was that? It's a Mac Mini. Okay, and you're going in USB from uh, again. The I think that the issue is is that because Mickey heard it in Zoom, it's very unlikely it was on our side. <laughs> Because Mickey heard it, Mickey heard it in Zoom. He's in the same meeting as they are, so it means that it happened at the reflector or earlier. Like it can't, it can't happen in our system when 
when we know where, and this is an important piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. is that we, during the show, we asked Mickey to listen to it inside the show, like as, a, as a, another person in the meeting, to make sure that he could hear the glitches on his end, and he did, and that means that he was listening to it before it hit our system. Does that make sense? Yeah, but uh, if you put, do you have your diagram still there? No, I, I deleted it. Oh, okay. Um, well, I've been having problems with the USB bus on on a Windows computer with it being saturated. I was just wondering if that well, that could, but that wouldn't be our side. That be, you're right. That could be the case, but it would be on his side. We don't know what his computer was. I see. So it could be, you know, there there is something that that. Um, and sometimes error correction uh, replaces will do with packet loss. If it goes so long and it and it can't find the right packets, it'll substitute uh, a previous or it'll extend the previous packets and flip them sometimes to extend out that sound to fill the hole. Right. And may that may be what you're looking at on that waveform. Uh, right, but it would be. It, it, again, it, it doesn't sound It'd like be something. Packet laws somewhere where yeah. it's being transmitted uh, over the internet. Could be on the internet. Now, go ahead, Mickey. I'm going to speak through the the gray matter system again, and I'll, I'll switch back right after. I know I'm coming mm-hmm. in horribly off sync right now, um, but the um, it it feels to me like it is some sort of uh, USB. Um, mm-hmm bus being saturated and that's why I, I mentioned um last friday to alex that uh, i wonder if there is a usb hub somewhere or specifically right. a, an unpowered usb hub or maybe even a usb 2.0 hub not the 3.0 hub there um it doesn't sound like packet loss uh, as we've been accustomed to with uh, people on wi-fi over web right. conferencing platforms um another thing uh, another possibility perhaps might be uh, i know over the years over the um, the newer versions of Mac OS, the um, the uh, core audio has gotten uh, less and less stable, and I've noticed, I've experienced that myself. Um, it could, although in my experience, it's usually been like immediately um, an immediate death of core audio. It doesn't degrade, but I wonder if it could also right. be related to that. Yeah, and and we definitely explored a little bit of wondering whether it's our core audio going to Dante or Dante. And I've had issues with Dante virtual sound card in the past, but usually when DVS fails, it is a thump. Like it just disappears for a a second or two and then comes back up again. Like it's not a, it doesn't crackle. DVS just stops. And usually that's some kind of clocking issue that it it, it gets out of, the, the clock goes off and it, and it thumps, um, but it doesn't, it, it, it does a reset that, that's Last been my experience as well with the with DVS uh, crashing, similar to car audio, it just goes away. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, the, when I first looked at it, I would have said re- replace the DVS, uh, the dirt digital of uh, mm-hmm. Dante virtual sound card with like an Avio or a hardware device mm-hmm. and get that out of the equation. But since it's not that, um, it sounded like a USB issue, and it might very well be what Mickey says: the core audio updates in Ventura. Yeah, uh, Jeff. Um, now you're you're recording with Zoom ISO, uh, is that right? But remember that we when we say that we just want to make sure that we're clear that we heard it in from the reflector. So so right. there's probably and, nothing in our side that is doing this. And, and but you never in the Zoom meeting ever muted your side of the audio in Zoom, because if I'm not mistaken, I mean theoretically unlikely, but 
do you know for sure that you weren't introducing that into the Zoom meeting where no, Mickey would Zoom ISO is a passive. I mean, it doesn't, it wouldn't affect anything on Zoom, yeah. Zoom side there. Um, I, you know, and, and again, I'm leaning towards either the Scarlet or the, or the Hub. You know, like it's, you know, and again, anytime someone says that they've got a Scarlet in the pipeline, I kind of assume that <laughs> I was surprised until this happened that nothing had happened. <laughs> like until like, I was like, wow, the Scarlet's working so well. Oh, the I didn't have to spend an hour prepping it um, of, of trying to figure out why it wasn't working because that's usually what happens with Scarlet's. And I assume he's he's never he said he's never had this before on his. Well, we the, the interesting thing was is that we did expand. Um, uh, we did look at his other hits and they weren't there. But it, that doesn't necessarily mean that it couldn't happen. But he does a lot of hits, and so it's easy to find him. And so we were able to look at a couple other ones. We didn't see it. We just didn't know if they had to cut around it or, you know, just just you know, there's, there's a chance. You know, for short hits, there's a chance that they talk for an hour and they put in eight minutes. You know, that kind of thing. Um, next question. Well, the question was mine, and I probably should have just raised my hand and brought it up directly. But since I couldn't hear anything, I was focused really heavily on the on the waveform that you displayed at the top of this, and it just looked weird to me. I mean, I don't normally see that kind of sawtooth pattern in a good audio signal, so I'm wondering if that's just the way that it was displayed, or was it really that the phase was positive and then negative back and forth constantly? That seemed weird. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't it, hear it. So. It definitely, um, it, 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 we've seen the soft tooth before. It's usually some kind of comb pattern, and we've seen it digitally. The only other time we've seen it is when uh, Boom Recorder, the reason we have a Joko is because Boom Recorder failed, uh, you, you know, and uh, gave us something that looks very similar to what we just saw. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, what can happen in two's complement? Is this a stereo file or is it a mono PCM file? Uh, it is a mono file, mono... Um, PCM. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when it stores it in two's complement, what happens is the uh, for each sample, the, the top bit, uh, the most significant bit, is the sign bit. And so that determines whether it's a positive side of the waveform or a negative side of the waveform. And when you showed that waveform, you'd see modulation going up and down on the positive side and then a bunch of modulation going, yeah, down there on the right... Uh, if you zoom in on that area, I don't know if you can. I or can't. Uh, I don't just know if I can't expand your timeline a little bit. Yeah, it's just a weird-looking waveform. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it, it's you know positive, multiple samples only positive, and then multiple samples only negative. It, it could be something's overflowing, uh, overflowing the A to D converter is overflowing into that uh, the top bit, into the twenty-fourth bit, and uh, is causing it to go negative when it should mean keep going back and forth positive so it could be a you know, a to d converter problem overflow problem right uh yeah go ahead niche yeah that's not an analog issue i mean analog waveforms no, no, can't not, do that it's definitely no, it's not digital a, not an analog issue <laughs> it, it, it's definitely disjointed there uh next uh next question Next question comes to us from Douglas Carmichael. Could substituting a Digiface Dante unit or Avio for DVS help? Uh, Mickey. I think uh, I, I, I feel pretty certain that the the uh, glitch is happening on the remote uh, contributor side. Um, it certainly feels that way to me because uh, I heard it directly from that uh, presenter over Zoom. Um, so I don't think... 
uh, migrating off of uh, DVS to a, a hardware interface would, uh, would change that. Next question. Next question comes from Ronzi Robles in Mexico City. Did I hear the glitch on the YouTube stream also? I think at the moment that the guest was on Wi-Fi. Mickey? Yeah, um, it, the glitch uh, also did go out to YouTube uh, live last Friday. Um, I don't know if the guest was on Wi-Fi because uh, we were quite r- rushed in terms of getting the guest set up for the show. And I, I'm looking at the Discord right now and perhaps Shannon might want to ping me if she knows um, what the, if, if the guest was on wired Ethernet or Wi-Fi. And even then, you know, again, it didn't, I don't think it really presented itself as a Wi-Fi. You know, this is, that's why we're talking about it here and, and bringing it up and talking through it is that uh, a lot of us have heard a lot of these things. And, and the funny thing is, is that, you know, uh, looking at these things, this is where I feel like you learn the most is when things go a little awry um, and you have to dig into what happened. Um, you know, a lot of folks, uh, I, I know that I had a I had an issue where we had, um, this is not related to audio, but we had green screen and, and I was so particular about how I shoot green screen um, that I realized the folks in my office didn't know, actually know how to green pull green screen. <laughs> what they knew how to do was, you know, they'd light it a certain way and then everything would just, all they do is tap something and all the green was gone and all the hair was there and it was nothing to do. Anytime, but if they had a, a slightly challenging green screen, they couldn't, they had no idea where to go next, like how to divide and conquer, how to build core mats or garbage mats, because they never had to do that. And we always had perfect screens. And so I think that sometimes, you know, having an example of something um, to, to dig into we, we, and think through what those processes are, helps us in future events. Um, Let's go to the next question. Next one is uh, from David Brady in New York City. A while back, I used to see this from time to time at work. The Zoom meeting dashboard can get you into the participants and expose any issues they might have with the CPU and network, Mm -hmm. GSM, Wi-Fi, other network congestion, CPU thrashing, and so forth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to look. I don't think we have the license for that. But, um, you know, like enough of a license for with Zoom to do that. But I... Uh, that's a really interesting one hmm. to, to be able to go back and dig into that. And you're right that you can get, if you have the business uh, license, which I don't think we have on this account, um, you can definitely do that. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, I've got a plus one that it, it really seems to me like a, a CPU that's saturated, not a bus. Yeah. And, and the, uh, this is, this gets back into why we like to send out kits with whole, I mean, we don't, we can't afford it for the, for the show that we're doing it on, but but why we like to send out whole kits with <laughs> Mac minis and or or laptops or other things like that because it's so much easier to um, it's it, you know we control it at that point and we understand and it's a known system for us going to different systems all the time is part of the part of the challenge. Um, I think we have another question there hiding there. Yeah, go ahead. Next, yeah, next question. Jeff Cohen of Miami Beach is up with this. Thoughts on deciding when to stop recording and deal with the problem versus concerns of breaking the flow of the interview. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. And, and this is something uh, that, you know, it, there's opinions, strong opinions on, on both sides of the concerns. You know, we want the best technical recording and product. And, it, and it's also balancing, frankly, um, how important is the live feed versus how important is the post-produced podcast or, or whatever yeah. it's going to be, YouTube video. And, and then the other concern, which is the person. Do you Are we breaking 
the flow and then making them worry that there's a problem and then that could affect great now we solve the problem but now they're kind of out of that flow that they were in that's the i mean so uh, we're not actually in this recording when we do them we have in the past been a little concerned about stopping for live but we're we are actually um prepared to stop anytime we need to, to to based on past experiences where we didn't do that but you're actually right if you're doing a record there's a couple steps that have to happen which we do have in the in the pipeline which is to be able to mute us to the be able to talk to the participants mute to the to the audience you know there's a bunch of um uh, uh, steps that need to be you need so you, to be able to stop in front of a live audience you need to be able to do a couple things and we can and so I'm just saying but but to back up for anybody else listening is number one is you need to be able to know that you can talk to the remote participant through the system but mute them to the stream so that no one can hear other than your team no one can hear it so that we can say we can and you also need a slate that comes up that says we'll be right back technical difficulties or something like that you know like but we'll be right back slide so that we can so that there's a safe way to do that so that the audience on the other side knows that we're working on something and that the guest knows that we're not you know talking to them about a problem in front of lots of people that just creates a it just creates a social system that is not healthy for the guest you know to they get frustrated we also at the beginning when a guest shows up when they show up on time or not on time and their and their predisposition when they arrive we make a bunch of decisions about what they're willing to do and what they're not willing to do or what will affect them and what won't affect them. And so we are making those and those maybe not our science, they may not be scientific decisions. But if we decide that a guest is, is probably not going to be predisposed to working with us about it um, or, or dealing with some of those issues or will get short with us or doesn't want to change anything or look at anything, then we choose not to. We're just like, let's keep going because there's nothing, you know, at that point. There's nothing you can get done. So you, anytime you stop an event, you have to make sure that there's a viable chance that you're going to be able to, that it's going, that, that you're going to actually be able to fix it because you are damaging the event. You're damaging the experience for primarily for the guest, you know, the, the host and, the, and our audience especially would be fine <laughs> with it stopping for a second. No one cares. Uh, they're not, you're not going to get a bunch of texts like, what is going on here? And I paid, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or I, I took my day off from work to watch this. And it's the kind of, when we do streams, other streams we do, we'll be right back slides, you know. And and those are, I mean, just because we have time to talk about it, the we'll be right back slides are really important. Um, just as a little side note, uh, is that you, uh, a we'll be right back slide, a good one does not have your logo on it because it could become a meme. So you don't put your logo on it. Um, you know, you, so it, Microsoft learned that a long time ago. They had a couple of them. And, and uh, so you don't want to have that going on. Um, the second thing is, is that the best ones that we did were ones that we actually built animations for. I had a new motion capture system, so we had all these little mocap mo things, and we made them funny. We had these little skits of, you know, like little Gumby, you know, people. You know, back then it was the little Gumby guys were, were really popular, and we had one where he grabbed onto a piece of wire, and you could see his little Gumby skeleton going, you know, and and uh, and, and fall, fall over smoking, and we had all these little things that we did, and it, they were so good that the clients used to joke that they almost wanted something to go wrong so they could play these videos. We never did. We never, never had anything go wrong but but figuring out ways to make it either entertaining but also very clear that something you know we're working on something we'll get right back to you is important and then having those subsystems built in that's a lesson that we already know so we already have it built into the system that wasn't the issue but having it built into the system that you know how you're going to get out of something and then back into it and it's going to be clean and, and everything else is an important piece of that puzzle that a lot of people don't have like when they're building these systems to do remotes so it's definitely something you want to take into account good go ahead mickey 
Uh, yeah, I I got a message from Shannon saying that the uh, yeah we we didn't we were not able to get to the point where we were able to confirm whether the guest was on on wireless or wired Ethernet. Um, but again, going back to earlier, the glitch does not sound like a drop packet similar to to uh, what we ex- right. what we experience on Wi-Fi. And David Brady's uh, point about the 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 Zoom dashboard it. it it is indeed very helpful if it is uh, it is around. Yeah, and the unfortunate thing is, is that the the Zoom dashboard comes with a business license that requires ten licenses, which are you know it's it's not a it's like the when they give you that the the it, it does make it harder for us because it's it's a big cost to for something you don't necessarily need otherwise. Um, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I guess it depends on the popularity of your show and whether most of the people are listening live or whether they're listening to YouTube later. But I would always suggest uh, going through a recorder first before you go to anything else, uh, like a mix pre three or whatever, and just record locally on both ends, double end it. Well, that's what we want to do. That's what that means. Yeah, and that way a- you can always reconstruct it, especially with thirty two bit float. You don't have to worry about uh, over modulation or any or clipping or anything like that. Then then you can always replace it later in post. Although you can't, you know, if the communications, if the dropouts are so bad that the people can't hear each other, then you've got to stop and fix things in the and transmission. When we, when we have budget, this one this one has this is our this is a, a labor of love at the moment. <laughs> so when we uh, when we have budget, that's exactly what we do is we send out mixed pre's with mics and everything else. The hard part is is that without budget, getting the stuff back, and it's not someone someone stealing it from us. It's just them getting around to sending it back. Um, we start we start sending out a kit that's pretty expensive that costs more to ship, and but also when it gets there, it's um, getting back a mix. You know, getting back. We've lost a couple mics. Um, I don't know, two or three mics never came home. Um, you know, these MV7s that, that I bought and that, you know, that, and it wasn't something that it was just like, you know, they have a whole bunch of mics that just gets tossed into, that's the worst part is it gets tossed into a box or they don't, they just, they live far enough away that going to FedEx is a major thing. And a lot of the folks we work with are pretty busy. And so, um, we, we do pretty good, you know, pretty well at, at pulling, getting our, getting our stuff back. And we've been pretty successful at it, probably well over 80%. But when you start losing mixed pre's, you know, you would, that's, you know, not something that we want to do. And, and again, it's, you know, it's expensive when there's not a, there's not a, we're not to a point where we're getting advertising budget yet. So it's all coming out of, uh, mostly our pockets. <laughs> so, so anyway, so it's, uh, so we're, you know, that's, that's, that's what we're, you know, so that, that's kind of our, our limitation. So that's why we're working on that. But I agree with you that double ending, it's also why we're looking at, um, sources like Squadcast specifically to record on the computer. Um, and, um, you know, the, if Squadcast gave us a Zoom ISO-like video, we'd probably be even like on the other end, which it might. I'm going to do some research. I, I think the last time I was brought into a Squadcast, there was no video. There was just audio. So it's, but that's been years. So it, it, it could, it, if they've added video and if, if it has it there, you know, we may look at that because, but in, again, this doesn't look like a transport issue. This doesn't look like Wi-Fi. It doesn't look like Zoom. It looks like it was something, it's a Squadcast or a local record in this case on the computer. Before it got to the computer, you're right. If we had a recorder in there, it would make sense. Um, but otherwise, and what I, because we have time to talk about it, what we, what, what I'm amazed at is that I guess there's one company in the UK that does this, and I'm wondering whether they must have a patent on it or not. But what really needs to happen is a microphone that records 
in the microphone. <laughs> like, you know, it is a, you know, imagine a microphone that just, just records or a, or a mic plug that you plug into it that allows for real-time communication, you know, so that it ties back to something and allows you to record and does a kind of a store and say, uh, you know, a store and, and transmit later. And it, if, and if I was going to do this, I would build it in with a, um, you know, I would I would build it in with uh, both a you know five LTE four G or whatever a little card that you could put it in, as well as a Wi Fi capability. And I would also then give it an ID number so that you. And we've been think I've been talking about this for a decade now with with companies, and no one no one's no one's done it yet. I'm, and I assume that there must be something much harder than I thought. But the idea is, if you just say if you have a number on the side, let's say your NPR, you could just send this little thing out to someone, and they say, "What's the number on the side?" You say one three three six. They type in one three three six. They can immediately control your 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 mic. They can, you know, records in thirty two bit. It, it uploads it. It does whatever it needs to do to to send it to you, and it allows low latency transfer of that mic. Um, and if, if people, and then if I was a politician or a, someone who's on stuff all the time, I would just say, "Oh, I have this mic," and then everybody would be able to do that. That's my, uh, I, I used to quietly tell people how to do it. Now I'm just talking about it on the show because I want someone to make it and I don't care anymore who makes it. <laughs> so how about, anyway. How about something like the uh, Zoom uh, FR, uh, F3 to input mic preamp? It's a recorder and a user interface, 32-bit float, 350. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's cheaper than a Mix Pre 3. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 when it's all coming out of our pockets, even the weight of the FedEx matters. So that's the, I mean, that's the issue we have right now. Go ahead, Bill. Well, I thought the, exactly the same thing Courtney did. Why aren't you double ending? And I thought, well, why would it be a hassle just to put uh, audio hijack on the machine no, the, the, and then remote desktop? Right. And but the problem, the problem is, is that is that we think it happened before it got to the computer. Like our our assumption is right now that audio hijack would not have helped um, because it, we think that that glitch is it happening might have either been the in USB the Scarlet out or the, the Scarlet. Yeah, right. USB well, it would tell you at least if the, if the problem is the the processing on the internet side between you and right. the the local, that if it came out clean on right. that, I mean, you would know exactly where the problem was. I mean, this gets into why double ending is so important and why we're still waiting for Zoom to give us a double end because they announced it last year. Not that I'm bitter. Um, and so, uh, but the, um, uh, but double ending is super important for this kind of thing specifically so that we know at least at the computer level, we're not dealing with transmission. Go ahead, John, Jeff. There's a, you know, there, I mean, there are a couple USB mics that have SD card recorders. Um, I, I don't know for it's sure. It's usually that they, not very high quality. Well, they would have been better quality than this in this case. Right. And that's the in this case. And I don't know that they, right. uh, I assume they do both, which is you could still send out the live audio as well as recording right. locally. I mean, I'm assuming they're, they're, they're doing that as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, the, they would be better in this case, but in most cases, they're not. <laughs> you know, that's the problem with them. Uh, I mean, they're getting a lot better. They are. No, no, they are. And and I and again, we we are constantly um, the mic the mic choices that we have are much better than they were even three or four years ago because of work for home because there, there's more podcasting because there's all these things. Uh, it's unfortunate that the larger companies that really do this don't haven't really bit down all the way on doing something that is truly. Um, the solution for this. Um, next next question. Douglas Carmichael's up next. Could mixing the show live, Zoom ISO at all, resu reduce the risk of issues like this? 
Well, we are mixing this show, show live, <laughs> so no, so it doesn't, it doesn't, yeah. So that uh, it's mixed live. So what what happens is is that the records that we have, um, you know, because that that glitch is not going to be something that is. Um, again, we think it's on the, you know, on the source end somewhere um, to do that. And again, I I would you know love to send out mixed pre's to everybody, but uh, or even the the Zoom recorder there. Um, but it's it's one of those things that you know we we do that with some the own I know kits all go out with their own computer and a mix pre and mics and you know everything else so it's not that we do it it's just that that's not I'm not using the own I know resources to send these things out go ahead uh, Mitchell there's another probability and that is it may never happen again that really can be uh, frustrating yeah I mean what I will say and and you know I don't think I'll do this again probably again on this show because I don't want to keep on bringing it up over and over again but we may do it more inside of the gray matter thing is kind of a fun little private stream of talking about you know uh, what happens with when you record these it's not this problem but when you're doing these remote records it's some problem <laughs> and, and so like we had one I had I had one that um, I think Mickey had to wrestle with which is a woman had a headset and her earrings were touching, were tapping on the headset the whole interview, you know, and it was one of those things that, there, that and, and we didn't, you know, I thought that, oh, that's not that, that must be in our transport, but it wasn't, it was in the, it was in the record, it and there was, I don't know, I don't know if we, how much we got rid of that, but we got rid of it a little bit. I think Mickey did some magic. Go ahead, Nikki. Yeah, just because the, there's some time, I think specifically with the, with with this uh, episode, with this issue, um, it's it's one of those shows where the 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 planets aligned, and there was no um, time to pre-check the the guest, mm-hmm. and also the guest um, uh, came in with uh, we did not have much time on the day to work the guest uh, work on the the guest's uh, setup, so it's it's always those those uh, situations where. It, we just didn't have time with them right. uh, that these things happen because typically, yes, there is a pre-check. And then, yes, we'd have ample time on the day itself to DX anything that may be, um, may be uh, happening wrong. But we were like in and on, yeah. on air. Yeah. And, and you, cause you have a, you have a, you have a hard in, hard out, you know, those are, and if, if the guest is a little late, um, then you end up with a, you, you don't, you're, you're chewing up the, the show because you only, you have, you still have to stop when you have to stop. So that's the other challenge there. And, and, and I think that, um, the, again, when we do this, when we have the luxury, you know, and, and I think it's useful for us to talk about these things just to kind of think through it. There's definitely solutions to make sure that it doesn't happen, which is again, for the own, I know stuff that we get paid to do from clients. We, definitely send out a lot more so that we have more and more control and different layers of control. So it's oftentimes a, you know, sending out the mix pre so that we can record locally. And that oftentimes I want to send out a whole computer. I want to send out the camera. I want to be able to remote control the camera and the computer. Um, we've had ones with own I know where we couldn't see, we could bear, we saw one frame a second coming in from zoom because their internet was so bad you know, and we could just barely hear their audio and we hear one frame a second, but we were recording locally to um, a 6K, Blackmagic 6K and, and a mix pre. And when it got back, it looked just as good as everything else. We saw just enough for us to pull the record. So so there is a lot of advantages if you can do a double end. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, and it's funny. I mean, in, in one of the shows, uh, in, in fact, one of the only ones I know that we got um, 
the double ending, uh, Frederick Van Johnson. Didn't even use it because we didn't think we had to. And then there was like a little spot, like three seconds, five seconds, uh, that I just grabbed it from the double ending because right. we had the luxury to do it and it didn't think we need it, but it was perfect. Um, I'm curious, obviously it didn't happen this time, but generally are, are we asking the guests to reboot their computer at least day of, if not, you know, prior to joining? No, we don't usually ask them to reboot the computer. I mean, it's, um, a lot of, a lot of guests, uh, you know, especially when we work with high profile guests, there's a limit to what you can ask them to do. Um, so, um, in a lot of cases when we're doing it again on a larger commercial thing, we're sending our own computers in and of course they're getting rebooted because that's when they got set up. So, um, but, but asking, we, we can ask a couple things for there, but a lot of times you have to, again, the other thing you're always weighing is the very fragile nature of a, of talent. And I don't mean that the talent is fragile. It's just that if someone gets a little off or thinks something's a little weird or, or a little frustrated, it changes, it does more damage than any kind of glitch that you can have to how they present themselves. Yeah, go ahead, Mickey. Yeah. And, uh, typically like just building on what you were saying earlier, Alex, like with, uh, with larger, uh, profile events or, or, um, uh, larger projects, uh, we would send a full crew, uh, not just like, yeah. not just gear, but there would be a full crew there setting things up. Saying that though, um, Shannon, uh, Shannon Cooper, who uh, um, is one of the producers, she she gets the the kit in this, in this case, just a microphone and a stand to the guest a couple of days before the show. And uh, as soon as possible, she gets on a call with them to get things up and running. And the, the uh, ideal situation is, on the day itself, um, we do not have much uh, adjustments to do. Um, right. It's just a little tweaking that we we have to we we have to do like I say, oh, close that close the window to your side because it's it's blowing out your background or we're getting traffic noise through that window. Um, again, but again, in this situation, we had all of I don't know less than five minutes to go on air. Yep, absolutely. Uh, next next question. Marty Adius is coming in from Silver Strings, Maryland. Next, was the guest listening to the Scarlet with side tone of himself? If so, did he hear it? We don't know. And the, even if he did, if it saturated the SDI, the USB line or it was on the computer, you wouldn't hear it because this, the if you're doing zero latency from the Scarlet, it's not, you're not here. You can't hear it through the USB bus. That's the, that's the issue there. Uh, next question. Uh, I, oh, there it is. David Brady, New York City. Tula makes a portable USB-C recorder mic that might be worth an evaluation, and he's got a link to it there. Go ahead, Mitchell. Well, you would make Paul Wallace very happy because he has one and likes it. I think it's a Russian-made microphone. Um, it sounded pretty good when Paul would demonstrate it on After Hours. But again, I think that's just a, a small Band-Aid on the problem that there are other ways to fix this. Uh, I did test the Tula and didn't think it was as good as the MV7 from a pure capture perspective. <laughs> so, so it, it, I, I, I uh, bought it and sent it back. So I, I, I've, I've used it. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's very, uh, yeah. It doesn't have, it doesn't have the the full range that the the MV7 does. And again, when the MV7 works, it works well. And one of the things we have to deal with with lower quality mics is the biggest problem we have is not actually. Um, these kind of transport issues. The biggest problem you have is reverb. You know, reverb and, you know, 
sounds and thumping and all kinds of other things. It's not, you know, this isn't usually the biggest problem. It's, it's usually in the mic. And so the something with a lot of off-axis rejection um, that is relatively uh, full-featured is, you know, full range is something that is valuable to us. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, it kind of brings up the issue to fix a potential problem, bring everything down level-wise or quality-wise, doesn't make much sense. You almost want to live with the problem potentially showing up just yeah. to have better quality. Yeah, and again, I, I think that, you know, if, if if the podcast continues to grow and it gets to a point where I can afford to do that, we'll definitely send out bigger kits. The other, the other you, issue you end up with is when you record locally, if it's not in something like Squadcast, that's the advantage of Squadcast. Uh, if it if it if it truly was something in the transport, um, is that the with Squadcast you would it it records it there and then automatically uploads it. If we record to a mix pre or a or a uh, Zoom, the delay is not only uh, you know getting it's getting it back from them so that we can produce the podcast. The, even like it would delay it by a week. You know, and oftentimes, you know, we're turning these, um, you know, the, the way that this podcast goes out is it, uh, it is, well, in a perfect world, I record it in Logic and then send it and then send out that, that piece there. I, I've, done, I've done that successfully like twice so far. It's always some little issue. I, I got it done two weeks ago and then this last week I didn't do it right. Anyway, so, um, but uh, we recorded it in, in Logic. It goes out. There's already now in, in these days, I'm already um, EQ'd it. So I'm listening to that pre-show and I'm, I'm, I'm adjusting EQ in real time while I'm listening to them and kind of doing all the adjustments that I want to the, to the, um, to the uh, show. I even put in the clothes, you know, brought to you by Cashfly, blah, 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 blah. I, I drop that in and then I put that up for, re, um, for review. And then, um, uh, so I, that all happens and then it goes up for review oftentimes in less than, Nowadays, it's happening in less than, you know, 15 minutes. It's from the show. It, it goes up to be reviewed. Um, I get, I typically get the feedback um, over the weekend, uh, but oftentimes by the end of Friday, sometimes the end of Saturday. And then I go in and make the make the uh, edits that are required. And so it's, the idea is that it's done, done on Sunday. <laughs> so it's, by the end of Sunday, it's done. And then it's getting published. It got delayed a couple of times and now we're, we're getting into that pipeline that's working pretty well um, to make that happen. Go ahead, Mickey. Yeah, I know the um, the eight series and the higher end recorders uh, have uh, camera to cloud built into them. But for something like, say, if you do plan to send out the mix pre, another option would be the uh, Viviana Cloud, which is uh, made by an, an Italian company, a small company. Mm -hmm. But they, their their box uh, offers similar um, features, wherein it can remotely upload a file from a mix pre directly to uh, to a cloud the storage service. Yeah. And, you know, this is another, we've been pressing down on a lot of vendors to give us something like, something like what we're talking about, of being able to locally record, like I want a box that doesn't have any controls. If you've got a mix pre or anything else, I want a box that is an ethernet connection in, you put the ethernet connection, I'm pulling the audio from there. And it may, you know, and you may be able to see something on the computer, but it, and it can pass the audio into a computer as a USB interface. But it's like literally an Ethernet connection with nothing on the front or maybe a dial that has your headphone and your thing. But I'm controlling all the other things that are there. Um, so you might be able to control your mix of the hearing it back and forth and you can control, you know, your headphone volume. But the idea is to get rid of everything else for the, the end user and so that, that they just plug it in and they can talk. And we just haven't haven't been able to get anybody to 
build that device yet, but I'm going to start posting models and designs on online to try to control people to somebody like I, I've quietly told companies for a decade, oh, 15 years now, <laughs> like that this is what we need. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Barracks might be able to help you out there. They have an ABCL uh, programming language and uh, they're very, very receptive to modifications that could potentially yeah, do that. And it's just a just a silver box. The, the, the big issue is that we do need some creature comforts. I mean, we're sending this out to to, to talent and, and it, what we can't get is someone to build. Like what we need is someone to build something that is feels a little apple-y or a little, you know, like it's like a little thing that they can put down and, and, and do it. It's you can you can try to do it with less than that, but it, it makes a difference, um, you know, to have for them to have some of those controls on their end. Um, next question. Jeff Cohen in Miami Beach here on the panel. Anyone know if the iPhone iOS voice isolation feature works with the Zoom app? Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, you know, I, I've thought about this before, and I, and I um, think more and more, if it does, by the way, but uh, eventually something like it will. And, and of course, Zoom has their own noise canceling uh, that still that runs on the app. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking more and more that... Uh, for a lot of people, regular people, guests on an interview, the solution might simply be uh, a little stand that puts the phone at eye uh, level, and a lot of them have little lights. I mean, these things are really small and compact. You open it up; it's got a, it's got the stand, it's got the a little light on it, and they put their phone on there. Um, and with all the audio capabilities like voice isolation, if it's working with Zoom especially, um, it's going to get rid of all the complications and yeah, reasonable stability. They're on Wi-Fi for the most part, but other than that, it's it's pretty we've, good. We've used it. We've used iPhones and iPads for, for some of the stuff that we've done in the past, and it, you know, we chose not to continue going down that path. Not yet. It could be. It just it just wasn't quite there yet. It, it, it's a physics problem. They're standing, they're looking at it, and they're four feet away or three feet away. And no matter what we do, we end up losing, you know, a fair bit of fidelity. So making that a regular thing is something we try to avoid. Go, Jason. Yeah, it does work. But um, I found that Apple's uh, isolation tends to work much better the more microphones it has, right? So the iMac's got whatever, three three mics and it's it's isolation is much better because it can it can kill out the room noise but on on mac os you can actually do this per app right per input it can do this and you can decide whether or not you want to do it um with with any input you can also use the iphone and with the iphone's input decide whether or not you want the mac to be using the multiple microphones to do the input or to do the the noise canceling good chris you know alex i i I apologize for going backwards, but um, have you ever considered, especially with the talent resources that we have here, why don't we build the box that you that you want? Why don't we design it? Why don't we figure out the circuitry? I'm sure it's a couple of chips. Maybe we make a, put enough software in it that we can install any noise isolation plugin that somebody wants to pay for. Why don't we build? The Alex box. Hardware is hard. <laughs> like, 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 I just. Like, I, I will tell I, you it, this. About five years ago, I, I, um, I worked with Adam Curry, Podfather, mm -hmm. he, and he was building the ultimate podcasting box, and he he was very close to it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a crowdfunding thing, didn't quite, he, he was very risk adverse, so he didn't want to put a bunch of his own money into it. Uh, I, I helped him uh, with the video, the crowdfunding video, and some logo design and stuff. I, you know, t- but one thing that I am interested in now that you think about, now that you say that is if we were able to crowdfund enough money to actually do it well, I don't think we could do it in our spare time. I think we would have to build, we would have to do a Kickstarter or something. But if we had, yeah. you know, if, if, I don't know if we'd be able to raise a half million dollars, but that's probably what you need to develop it. Like, you know, you have to have a pretty good yeah. idea what you're going to do. Um, and then you work with a, uh, yeah, mm, let's, let's think about that. What Adam ended up doing, and, and he was a little miffed by it, um, he now uses what Courtney has, the roadcaster mm-hmm. podcaster mixer pro thing whatever and Roadcast and he said <laughs> yeah he said i i'm pretty impressed with it but he's he's actually he's actually using it because sometimes when he travels he wants a an easy thing to pack up and go but yeah i, 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 I think it's an interesting idea i think the hard part and what's kept me from doing it myself is that for the kind of work that we do and when we're sending them out and we're doing the records the uh, i'm very attached to the noise assist <laughs> like, like at, at a uh, you know but i think that if we if we were getting something recorded locally i think that that would make sense the no, noise assist I, I feel like is this even like i'm i'm i take these little mixed priests to hotels and do all this other stuff and it's and it it is a uh um to me it's such a game there's two things that i think about when i because i when i go remote i kind of feel like i'm like some of our guests um is noise assist and a short depth of field is like the the two things that i feel like are really key, you know, and it's, and those are expensive things to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. Some of the stuff already exists. We don't really need to, re, uh, reinvent the wheel. The, the radio industry has been doing, uh, interviewing for a very long time and a company like Comrex would be a Comtech, potential yeah. choice. Yeah. I mean, um, it's just, and it's, even angry audio has some uh, stuff that does that. I'd love to work with angry audio on something like that, but it, it, I, Yes, there are things out there, but I got to tell you, man, I go to NAB and AES looking for this device, looking for exactly what I'm looking for. And it really needs to be clean and no one builds it clean. They build it for a bunch of different things and they build it, you know, they don't, they don't really, you know, it's got to be, you know, uh, you know, I, I might as well just keep using what I have if someone doesn't nail it, you know, like, and, and that's the, and, and I think that it could be nailed, but I, I, it's, it's not like, I look at it like, okay, well, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. You know? I, would, I would give it another look because uh, voice nothing. tracking on radio is a big thing now and they want high quality. So uh, take a look. I can tell, I can tell you, I spent weeks getting a Comrex to, to work out of a facility. And so, uh, you know, it's not, Possibly. it's not as automatic as it. AES may have some of this stuff looking yeah, for you. We'll, we'll look for it. It, it won't be there because I, I, I don't. I just I've given up that someone else will build it. Um, Bill, regarding regarding your suggestion here, you ought to talk to George the Tech Widom because he grouped with Centrans to try to do a specific piece of hardware right. to do audio recording for voiceover talent. And I don't know how it's gone. I haven't heard about it well, in a while. But they I, they were just trying to get a hundred orders in. I, I think that I going. think that was great. I think that. For voiceover talent, I think what George built was perfect. I think that what I'm dealing with is, I don't want any dials. <laughs> like, no, no, like no. What I'm than, saying is that he had the hardware. <laughs> what you're talking about is he yeah. managed a small batch initiative to get a hardware manufacturer to get in and do it. So yeah. he's run across whatever yeah. blockade there may be there or yeah, not. That's true. That's true. I mean, I, and and, and I, when I saw George's, I looked at it really closely and I was like, oh, there's too many things. There's things that a voiceover person will get just right. And there's things that exactly. if I send it to a regular person, they will not get right. Yeah. I go ahead, Courtney. 
You know, I, I was going to suggest this until I heard you say no no dials, but they make the little uh, Rode X streamer, which is audio and video interface, uh, and it has return and your headphone, you know, a, a level and your mic yeah. mute and all that good stuff. Uh, so that might be a possibility for 400 bucks, you know. Yeah, it's, it's really got to be. And it does have the Apex processing built in, so you can yeah. have all that goes. I, the thing, the big thing is, is as a user, I need, I mean, as a controller, I need to be able to control it remotely. Like, I can't have the Yahoo's, you know, actually touching the the gear. Um, go ahead, Jeff. You were going to say something. Sorry, Bill, uh, Bill beat me to the punch, but yeah, that that is what I was going to. Yeah. Um, mentioned and specifically because they worked with Centrance to build this unit specifically uh, for voiceover, but a lot of the same needs for podcasters. And one of the things specifically it has is a separate record out um, to to do basically the double ending as yep. part of this. Uh, and it's meant to be um, for folks that, that like the physical dials, of course, versus the Again, I think control that, that you're talking about. For a voiceover channel, I think that George's creation was genius. <laughs> so I think that it was great. I think for what I'm trying to do, it I just need to be simpler because I'm usually dealing with non-technical talent. Um, well, it was fun. I thought for sure this was going to last 15 minutes. So uh, every time I do that, I somehow we end up uh, chit-chatting throughout the, the whole thing. Uh, let us know um, in, uh, I don't know where you'd let us know, but let us know if you liked that, um, that this discussion. I, I kind of feel like slowing down every once in a while on these shows and digging into something and just talking through it with a bunch of smart people is useful. Um, to learn to learn from. I think we dug, dug through a lot of I different issues that you end up with with the podcasting. So um, so thanks to the producers for all the great questions and comments and thanks to the panelists for being here and being part of the conversation. Can't do this without you. Uh, and thanks to the incredible team on the back end that does the development and does the editing, does the managing, does the planning, all of those things that make this actually um, occur. We appreciate everybody's effort. And uh, we traveled today... 141,000 miles, that is uh, 227,000 uh, kilometers and 1.121 billion bananas for scale. Let's go to after hours.